Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. This is Making Waves at Sea Level, the podcast for those who shake things up in business and are focused on growth and success. This episode is produced in partnership with the Austin Technology Council. The ATC is a 30-year-old association that is focused on promoting and facilitating the growth of technology companies in Central Texas. Over the past three decades, the business ecosystem of Austin has changed drastically, and the Austin Technology Council is actively changing too. To learn more, visit austintechnologycouncil.org. My name is Tom Singer, and I have been hosting this show for over eight years and over 740 episodes. And I am also the new CEO at the Austin Technology Council. And while this podcast isn't usually focused on Austin, we have been using the show as a way to feature some of the ATC members and talk about the growth that Austin has had and had and what the future looks like. And here's a spoiler alert. Coming up in just a few more weeks, the Austin Technology Council will be launching its own podcast called Austin Tech Connect. So be looking for that somewhere near the mid to late part of November 2022. So today I am happy to welcome to the show Nad Elias. He is the founder and CEO of RecruitAbility. So for those of you who don't know Nad, he has been in the recruiting business for over 24 years and he has seen all the ups and downs of that industry. And six years ago, he founded this company because he wanted to make sure that he could change the lives of people and create a culture where everybody wanted to work. Over the last six years, five times, they have been on the best places to work in Austin list. And this year, they made the ABJ's Fast 50. Hey, Nat, it sounds like things are going great at RecruitAbility. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Tom. Hey, glad to have you. So let's talk about, you've been doing recruiting in Austin for 24 years, which means you have to have been focused on the tech community a lot because that's been where most of the growth has been over the last 24 years. So let's talk about what you've seen in Austin over that time. And then we'll talk about how you founded this company and the great things you're doing. Yeah, no, I appreciate that wonderful intro. Uh, my first job out of college was, um, uh, at a recruiting firm while I was recruiting, uh, you know, back then they would give us books and they would, uh, pull up lists and we had to call, I had to call people that knew how to do SAP, SAP software back then and, uh, make 150 phone calls every day before I could go home. Uh, that was the only metric and measurement that we had. <laughs> um, and that was in 98. So I then saw what happened in 2001, right? Where the, uh, uh, the dot com bust happened and, um, really saw the resiliency of this town. Um, uh, you know, that's when I started my first company and um, saw how much collaboration, you know, even back then, you know, you had your Dells and you had your vignettes 
of the world, but um, you know, we didn't have nearly the technology ecosystem that we have now. Uh, so it's really cool to see how this town has grown up over the years. And I've never done anything else, right? I've recruited my entire life. So I've seen um, Austin uh, where we're trying to take people from each other, where companies say, hey, we can't pay relocation. Go, go help us find all these software engineers and pull from this company, put them in that company too. Um, where I feel the dynamic has has shifted is let's bring people to this town and actually grow our technology community, right? So that's been a focus for us. We talk to companies in Austin all the time and say, do you really want to just shuffle around the same people, right? Um, or can we look for ways to innovate? Should we uh, nearshore some of your dev? Uh, should we hire, you know, product leadership here in town? Um, you know, how do we build out this ecosystem instead of just, keeping it the same size and moving people around, you know? So, so six years ago, after, after all that experience watching the town grow and, and doing things six, six years ago, you started recruitability. What, what is recruitability and what makes it different? So I, again, I've been in the recruiting industry and started several companies. Um, I'll say, uh, I think it was Gary Keller when he was asked the question on um, why he was so successful with Keller Williams. Uh, he said, honestly, I failed so many times that I was bound to get it right. <laughs> and, uh, and that wasn't until the late eighties when he finally got, you know, Keller Williams, right. So, uh, I made a lot of mistakes in running and building companies. Um, a lot of it was probably my management style, uh, very hard charging Tom, as you know, in our industry, um, uh, you know, we, we tend not to put people first as much as put a number on everybody, uh, started this company with a mission to, make the lives of everybody we connect with better. And how we do that is by focusing on our people first, right? Everybody that we hire owns a piece of our company. Everybody we hire, we focus on their training, their development. We're a team-based environment, not a, an eat-what-you-kill type of environment. And um, and it's very consultative, right? We have consultants that are going on-site or dedicated to accounts and helping them scale and really trying to figure out the problem they're having um, which which isn't always just a person they need to hire, right? It could be, hey, I need to figure out a solution to hire 200 people. How do I do that? You know, am I posting in the right place? Am I talking to the right people? What's my sourcing strategy? Um, why am I losing people after the second interview? Uh, why are we losing people when we're negotiating offers? So that entire consultative process we're very involved in and engaged in now. So that's, that's, a little, that's a little bit different than like your standard recruiting company. I worked for a little while in the recruiting industry and I actually loved the industry because when you do it right, you really do get to help influence the future of people and of companies when you're, when you're placing people at the highest of levels. But what you're doing is a little bit different than just going out and sourcing a position. So how did you come up with this consultative, you know, concept and this team concept that you have? Yeah. So most, um, uh, most of us in the industry, um, uh, and we, we actually just exhibited HR tech in Vegas and we saw a lot of this, um, know the term RPO, which is recruitment process outsourcing. RPO is, um, uh, generally a, a monthly uh, type of fee you pay to a recruiting service company that I'll throw a bunch of resumes at you and hope that something sticks. A lot of times they're offshore, uh, with their core recruiting, some of the project managers done here. We took that model and we said, hey, what's, why is that model broken? And then MRS, which is we call Managed Recruitment Solutions, the model, we fixed the model and we sell against RPO by 
putting really strong leadership around our recruiting consultants, right? We've all had 25, 30 years experience. Our project managers are working with our sourcing team and our recruiters and really thinking strategically about how to solve a problem. And we came up with this model, Tom, because, um, uh, you know, there are all these challenges that companies face. And so, so many times it's more than just recruiting, right? It could be your ATS. It could be, um, again, where you're sourcing, where you're posting. Um, you know, I look at it a lot like a project manager at a consulting firm coming in and trying to fix a problem. And I think that's, that's why it's been so fun this time around to kind of scale this thing. We still do the traditional search. We do have an executive search division, traditional search and technology. Um, but this, this has been really fun to see grow. So how many employees do you have now? I mean, to make the, uh, the best places to work thing, it's, you know, you got to have, have some key mass of employees and, and, uh, you've got to have them all happy. So how many people do you have and, and how long have people been working for you? So we just finished uh, uh, Q3, uh, which we hired more people than we ever have in uh, what some would say is an uncertain economy. So we're at 41, 42 employees now. Um, about 30 of them are based here in Austin, which is our backyard. And um, uh, the rest are all over the uh, uh, all over the country. We bring everybody into the uh, uh, corporate office here in Austin. Um, once a quarter, we have really fun team building events, um, just trying to figure out ways to collaborate and build a culture in, uh, this virtual environment. Right. Um, uh, but we are hybrid, which is another, uh, uh, you know, challenge that companies are facing. We're Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in the office and Thursday, Friday at home. Um, I tell people that come to work for us, I say, look, you'll spend more time with your work family than you do with your real family. I've got an eight-year-old and 10-year-old and I see my my work family more than I see my kids. I'm home at six o'clock and they're in bed by 8.30, right? So uh, uh, you better enjoy where you're going, coming to work every day. But we like coming to work. We like working together. Uh, we are a family. And I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, we've had the success that we've had. Still get challenged with the virtual environments. I think that's, that's always a topic of conversation. I'm sure you've had that on your podcast before, Tom, right? How people are dealing with this ever-changing environment. We struggle with that as well. Well, it is. Uh, it's an interesting thing, right? Because I'm a big believer in, in the power of culture and, and culture is underpinned in what I teach people with, with trust and accountability and relationships. And the problem is when you're remote, it's a little harder to build all three of those things because you're not sort of constantly interacting. I mean, it takes shared experiences to build relationships and trust comes along totally. because of, of, of those shared experiences and, and having people, you know, have your back or, or not have your back. So what have you done in this move to hybrid? What have you done to, to, to underpin trust, accountability, and relationships? Yes. Yeah, so here's, here's my, I, I don't like to give advice, but here's my experience on this is there's a difference between culture and environment. And it's something that I think it took COVID for a lot of companies to realize what that difference was when you can't get on the phone and sell your ping pong table and your bar and um, uh, you know, the uh, work, leave work early day or whatever. Right. And then you would ask people, you would ask companies, what's your culture like? And they're like, Oh, it's great. We've got a bar. We have happy hours every Friday. That's not culture. That's fresh that's made, gua fresh made guacamole. That's not culture. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Lunch every day. That's environment. And when that was taken away, and companies couldn't sell that. They had to figure out what their culture really was, right? And um, um, it's, to me, a culture of a company is the behaviors that we engage in every day 
that becomes part of our lives, right? It's the fabric. And somebody that joins our company, they believe that um, or there's no alignment, right? And they won't last. And they see our core values as, as a way of life. And some of the things that we do, Tom, that uh, we started actually during COVID and have stuck with us since is we have a core value shout out at the end of every day uh, at four o'clock. Uh, everybody gets on the phone and um, uh, shares an example where they saw our core values demonstrated that day. Now, when COVID first happened, that was a way for me to get everybody back together at the end of the day, right? Uh, we had our check-in in the morning. We had our morning huddle. And at the end of the day, we'd get everybody back together. Well, when we went back in the office, that became too much. Every day, a four o'clock core value shout-out. So we created a Teams channel and it has all our core value shout-outs on it. And once a month, we have a happy hour from three to five um, uh, on the last Wednesday of the month. And we read them all. Nice. And everybody reads them all. And I'll tell you, that's that's the when I ask people the best part of their month, um, that's always it. They love that. And and I don't know, it's just it, it just creates a really um, strong experience for all of us. And people see if they fit or if they don't. Right. We we we, we interview based on culture and, and then we teach recruiting later. Right. And it's the same. I, I, my advice to companies, same thing. Look, um, figure out what your culture is and then hire to it. Well, you said a minute ago you don't like to give advice, but this is an advice show. So we're going to ask you a couple of questions. So the the show is listened to by a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of want to be entrepreneurs. So if somebody is building a business, what would you tell them about how to build a better culture from day one? Well, first off, uh, don't be afraid to fail. And I know a lot of uh, uh, business owners uh, say that. I just finished reading uh, Shoe Dog by uh, uh, Phil Knight and story of Nike. It is, if you're an entrepreneur or you uh, aspire to be one or you failed at being one, read this book, man. It's amazing. What have you read it, Tom? Yes, I have. It's, it's, it's so cool to see, you know, the, the, the heart and the gut of a real entrepreneur and how he scaled uh, Nike and, and did the things that he did. Um, you know, on that note, he knew what his culture was from day one, right? It started off as Crush Adidas, became Crush Your Competition. If, you aren't, if you're not ultra competitive at Nike, you won't make it. You just won't be part of the culture, right? So for, for me, it was important to first figure out what, I, what I'm about and the type of company that I want to build and what do I want that company from a cultural standpoint to be. And then I hired people that aligned with that. And... So, so you talk about your team as your work family. A lot of companies right now are struggling with that, right? They have a, they have a lot of dysfunction in their work family. This, this whole idea around quiet quitting where people are just putting in the minimum, hoping to see how long they can draw a paycheck till they get fired. Uh, you know, if you have a functional family, you don't have that happening, um, you know, but when it's dysfunctional, it's there. So you're succeeding in an era where a lot of people are really failing at keeping keeping those 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 vibes really good with people and and why do you think that is? Well, what keeping the culture top of mind is key, but I think where companies fail is when they have when they when they have core values, but it's completely I don't say completely their core values are different from their everyday practices, mm-hmm. right? You know, I think I think the uh, the old Enron story wasn't and one of Enron's core values was integrity. Right. Right. I mean, you know, so uh, uh, accountability is a big one. You'll see account- accountability is one of our core values. You'll see accountability in just about every somehow interwoven in just about every company's core value. Right. Yep. Now, 
how do you practice that? Right. Especially like, you know, when, when, when you're not seeing the same person every day in the office and you're in a virtual environment, how do you practice accountability? How are they accountable? Right. We do our morning huddles. Uh, we do check-ins. We have a metrics environment where uh, nobody has a finger on your forehead, but you have a certain amount of output that you're supposed to, uh, that we measure, right. They're supposed to perform on. How are you measuring output? Accountability is huge, but companies have, they always struggle to measure that because it's not just about, it's not about when you're in the office or when you leave the office anymore. Right. That, that was our parents. Our parents had a, uh, you know, come in at eight o'clock, leave at five. If it's not eight to five, then you got to take a PTO day. Right. <laughs> I just went to donuts with dad. It was at 10 o'clock in the morning in the middle of the work week, which is a whole nother podcast we can have on why you shouldn't have donuts with dad at 10 o'clock in the middle of work week. <laughs> but for our parents, they would have had to take a whole day off of work. Right. Right. How are you measuring that output? I think that's so key in, uh, in, 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 that, in that specific core value of accountability. Sure. So I want to pivot a little bit to the city of Austin. We started off, you talked about the yeah. fact that, you know, Austin's a town that's very collaborative, has a lot of resilience. You know, we've, we've changed a lot. I said it in the intro that the ecosystem, uh, the tech ecosystem of Austin has changed so much in the 30 years that I've lived here, in the 30 years that the Austin Technology Council has existed. Uh, things are a lot different than they were. So where do you think we are now? Where do you think we're going? And what are some of the landmines that you might see in between? So where I think we are now is we have a collaborative technology environment. We have um, access to um, talent through our educational system, um, you know, between our flagship schools like the UTs and the a of the world and then all the feeder schools that are coming in. And we've got Austin, right? We've got a very attractive um, uh, 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 region and, and city to live in. Um, over the years, what I, what, when people started coming here, you started to have that, you know, the keep Austin weird mentality. And I'll give you my opinion on it. Um, you know, people ask that you stop coming to our city because it's getting overpopulated. Um, try working in a city when people stop coming to it. Mm -hmm. um, try being in Detroit when people stop moving to Detroit. You know, cities are like companies. Um, they go in two directions, up or down. You're either growing or you're dying, right? And so I'm, I'm of the mindset that I love that Austin has continued to invest in growth and um, continue to, to, to try to be leaders in, in technology. Where we struggle and what Austin is today is – We've become a pretty strong hub for what I call junior to mid-level roles, right? So we have what happens with Facebook, Google, Amazon, Apple, all these companies that say they've opened up offices in Austin. What's their offices made of? Tier one, tier two, tier three tech support. Mm -hmm. um, there is not executive level talent from Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Apple living in Austin, right? They're, they're, still, they're still at home in their corporate headquarters. Um, uh, you know, we, we, and we've done inside sales. We've had just, we don't yet have the ecosystem to advance all of the, all of the level of hiring that, that those companies created. Um, and they did it right, Tom, they did it because they had uh, access to Austin central time zone. You can call East coast, West coast, um, uh, you know, it's basically like the Kansas city of the call center days. You remember how Kansas city was back, in, back when sprint sure. and all those companies, they all, they, it, all right? had their, they all had their call centers there. I remember that. That's kind of what we, be, what we, what we've become. 
Now, how do we advance that? We have to build the ecosystem. And that means we need more homegrown companies. I'm a big believer. You know, you can't just have, you know, we've got our stories, right? We've got the Dells, the NIs, we've got stories, um, but we need more of them. We need stories to come out of here. We need people that want, my opinion, I want people that want to build legacy companies, right? You know, you a, a lot of Austin, we're, we're a bunch of small uh, startups and we're building companies to sell. You know, look what Seattle did. Look at the ecosystem that Seattle created. Microsoft, Nordstrom's, you know, Costco, Amazon. You can just keep going. Boeing, you can just keep going up there, right? They just created legacy companies. I, I would love that for Austin, like Seattle and, and the Bay Area. And I think we can get there, um, hire more uh, Texas talent. You know, I think there was a stat at one point, Tom, that had, if you were graduating with a computer science degree from the state of Texas, we were only able to keep 20% of our top 10% of graduates, right? Where in California, they keep 80% of their top 10%, right? We're, so we, we need our talent to stay here. We need our talent to stay in Austin and keep coming up with ideas and innovate. But we are collaborative. Um, there's, you know, obviously ATC is is great at this, you know, being able to create this collaborative environment for um, technology to grow and learn from each other. There's, there's some other, um, you know, the capital factories of the world and the incubators and what have you that are continuing to, to foster that. We do need more of that. We need more of those stories. You know? Well, and, and you are right that, you know, if, if our homegrown companies all get to a certain size and sell and, and, and their headquarters go somewhere else, eventually we get stuck in that mid-level, uh, you know, player right. area. And a lot of those companies that you mentioned, a lot of the big names, they came here and brought those roles because those they couldn't hire those people and let them live with the cost of living in California. Although yeah. since they've all moved here and everything else that's happened and the big influx of other people coming here, our cost of living is going through the roof. So what yeah. do you, how do you think that impacts the growth of Austin? The fact that we we're no longer a town where musicians can come live in a little house right off of sixth street. And we're no longer a town where someone can graduate and, and be able to, uh, you know, wait, wait tables until they find that tech job and be able to support yeah. themselves. So wh- how does that impact us? Well, you, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head because we've actually seen that. If you look at the downtown environment, when you had these companies coming out here, um, they were employing that level, right? Tier one, tier two, three, like, you know, kids in the, you know, one to seven years out of school. Um, but the cost of living got too much, right? So you start, we're starting to see now, and this is probably, um, uh, it, it can be a good thing, but there's the growth of our, suburbs, if you want to call it that, right? You're starting to see some of these companies, um, you know, Apple doing their thing in Palmer. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, you're starting to see these uh, uh, suburbs grow, um, obviously areas like the domain, which doesn't have a lower cost of living. But, you know, people can get to the domain easier, right? If you live in Round Rock or somewhere, you can get to the domain easier. So you start to see companies, instead of being downtown, start opening up in these pockets um, um, because people just can't afford to drive and park downtown on a, you know, entry level engineer, uh, software engineer salary, like, uh, like they first could, right. Or, te- or, or tech support. So we saw a lot of that shift. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to speak to the rest of like, you know, the, the music industry, and everything you see, but I don't know. I, I just feel Austin, it was bound to happen. So I'm of the opinion that you just, we just have to, you know, roll with the punches because, um, 
the flip side of it uh, wouldn't have been better. Sure. In my opinion. Right. I think you, you'd rather have, you'd rather have cost of living going up than it going down. That's all I said. <laughs> <laughs> so as we look to the future, right, the, the Austin technology council is now celebrating 30 years since it was founded, uh, founded as the Austin software council, a few years later, becoming the Austin technology council. Uh, as we look forward and, and we're trying to reinvent ourselves as we look to the next 10 years, because Austin's going to continue to change and grow. What can the Austin Technology Council and the greater community of tech be doing to prepare for the next 10 years? Yeah, it's, it, I always look at, again, I'm not, uh, Austin has this mindset. We love to compare ourselves to the Bay Area. I'm not going to do that, but I'm, I'm going to say that Austin Technology Council can and has led the way in collaboration, right? Let's create the ecosystem that Austin still needs. Like we, again, we think, we think we're this really cool, um, uh, innovative technology community and we've got a bunch of investments and private equity rolling in. We don't even come close to what's happening in the Bay area. Right. But we can, we can, right. We have, we have the talent, we have organizations like ATC that are kind of fostering this, this ecosystem. So how can you guys create more opportunities to build out that ecosystem, right? Obviously we're attracting companies, attracting more companies, but then once we have them, how are we getting them together? How are we connecting them? So they're mentoring, right? So they're um, uh, helping each other out in this environment because it's Texas and it's Austin and we love to help people. We just need that sort of, I don't know, mechanism to do it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So you're bullish on the future then. You, th- you think the future looks bright? We, we better put on some shades. I, I am. I am. I don't even think we've scratched the surface in Austin, you know, because you can see, um, we look at a lot of, because um, um, we do work nationwide and we can see the markets as they grow and you can see all the top 10 lists and everything that comes out. But the reality is um, Austin, Charlotte, Nashville, the, this migration that we've seen into, um, um, you know, not the big cities, but the cities that have the vibrant environments where you can raise a family and have a good quality of life. And I know the cost of living is high, but that's not changing. I mean, we haven't even come close. You're, you're still seeing, you know, construction uh, and multifamily be popping up all over town in a down economy, not in Austin, right? That That's because people still want to come here and, we should figure out ways to encourage that, right? That's going to keep us all bullish. When people, like I said, when people stop coming, then we have something to worry about. <laughs> well, Nad, thank you for your support of the greater Austin community and certainly of the Austin Technology Council. Any final words for people who are listening? Well, for the for the entrepreneurs out there, uh, you know, grab your hat and hold on. Let's uh, uh, let's figure out how to help each other and, and really grow this ecosystem. I'm I'm always, uh, my door's always open. I don't even have an office. I haven't had an office in 20 years. Um, uh, I just, I just roam around and love to meet people. So if I see you around town, uh, ask some questions, let's figure out how to build out Austin. So if people want to get in touch with you, how do they find you? Uh, emails best, uh, which is just nad, N-A-D at the recruitability.com. Nad at the recruitability.com. Awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened to this podcast. Please subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast joy. And go out there and make waves in your business and have some fun along the way while you're doing it. 
But whatever it is that you do, find a way to go out and positively impact the people you encounter every day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.